Kia ora and welcome to episode 122 of the Stag Raw. This episode is a little bit different. I'm on the other side of the mic. Well, essentially, uh, I have a chat with one of the blokes from Hunting Camp Down Under over there in Australia, uh, Toby Hines. You might remember him from an ep- early episode of the Stag Raw. Absolute legend. Tommy came out here and uh, went on a red stag hunt with Tom Jones up there in Marlborough. Um, didn't quite get it done with the trad bow, but nailed it with the compound bow. And then he came back uh, shortly after our podcast to hunt tar um, on the west coast. And unfortunately, Toby injured his shoulder there, but that didn't stop him making an absolute epic film, which you can uh, check out on his YouTube channel. I'll have that in the links. Um, Yeah, so this episode has featured on Hunting Camp Down Under um, and talk about imposter syndrome. (laughs) Um, Trying to speak for New Zealand hunters, and that's definitely not what I was trying to do because my opinion around hunting is very much uh, grown out of some of the conversations that I've had on this podcast and the magazines I've read and, and other people's podcasts that I listen to. Um, and yeah, so if these are, these are very primitive ideas and ideas that I've just sort of come up with and it was really fascinating to try explore and articulate what it is about hunting that really gives me a buzz. Um, and of course, with all that's going on right now, that is a little bit inhibited. Um, where I am right now, I have the opportunity to go out the back of the farm, but uh, with the successful hunt that I had two weekends ago, that's probably unnecessary. Make sure you're staying safe out there and uh, paying attention. Um, you know, it was quite, there were some conversations going around today about how cavalier it would be to just go isolate out in the bush, but um, someone raised an extremely, extremely poignant um, fact that if you have an accident out there, the amount of interaction and resources that it would take to save your life um, are gigantic. And if you're under trauma or having a bad accident, there's high chance that you will not be prioritised and you will not survive. Um, having spoken with an intensivist, both on Friday and then again on Monday. Uh, This is real, people. And um, if you have an accident right now or a heart attack right now even, it's not a good time for that to happen. So staying safe and keeping yourself out of harm's way is hugely important. Of course, it means that uh, hunting clubs such as Deerstalkers won't be able to run. So keep an eye out. Justin McCabe, the legend from Hunt, Hunt Spots NZ, um, he's going to have a virtual Deerstalkers meeting with myself and Oliver Walkie-Cudby. Um, Oliver is an absolute champ. Uh, he is the owner of Te Waiti Hunting Adventures down there um, on the lower east coast of the North Island. Wairarapa, I suppose, um, is where he's at. And yes, yeah, so we're going to have a bit of a yarn about, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, Justin has brought up the fact that Hey, the raw might be gone, but um, we might be in for a bumper duck shooting season. Again, where I am out here on the farm, 
I'm going to be lucky enough to partake in that. But be patient. It's one year, uh, and this is our livelihood. Very, you know, our vulnerable people's livelihood at stakes, and so now's not the time for being stupid. Anyway, as I said, this was recorded last week, so it was prior to all this going down. So we were asking a lot of questions about the impact of COVID-19. But yeah, it's come to fruition that uh, it's pretty serious and it's going to affect a lot of people. But the key thing is that we're safe, we're here. Be sure to reach out, love to talk to you. There's going to be lots of time for yarns. So yeah, um, send us a message, video message, um, voice message, whatever. We could even jump on and do a Zoom together. Like, I'm, I'm keen. Record a podcast. Could be lots of fun. You know, I'll pass the time with you. We can chat for three hours at a time if you want. We could we could get some epic podcasts out of this this enforced break. Um, optometry is non-essential, so I won't be working. I'll be out on the farm, actually. <laughs> cool. Right. Enjoy. Love to hear from you. Reach out to Toby, reach out to Craig Howells, Josh Rogers, um, Robert Herbert, although get well soon, mate. I see he's uh, been in hospital. Um, yeah, legends there from Hunting Camp down under. Check him out. Check out some of their episodes. They're awesome. And uh, let me know what you think, criticisms, feedback, thoughts, conjectures. I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. There's a lot of stuff happening in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> changes um in in the world and it's going to affect our uh well it's going to affect new zealand's economy and the hunting environment it's going to affect a lot of australians heading over but um so well i've i've got on the show today i've got ryan o'connor from north island nz yeah um how you going ryan yeah good mate i um Tell you Aussies away. I managed to find a deer in, in public land last night. So, yeah, it's, yep. you, you've talked right. to me, talked to me at the right yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I flicked through that. You got it yesterday afternoon, was it, or in the morning? Yeah, last last night around about six o'clock or so. Um, yeah, it was yep. a. You could describe what we were in in three ways, depending on the season, I suppose. It was either a gulch or a slip or a creek. And, um, yeah, just depended how high up you were or, or, as I said, I guess what season it was or how many earthquakes had been. But, yeah, it was quite yeah. large, large sort of scree stuff. And either side were these nice bush areas that looked pretty good. And, yeah, top top of that, there was some nice meadows and, yeah, spotted one, and then we're creeping up to try to get a better position on her, and then saw another one a little bit lower down, easier to aim at, and so lined it up at about 400, and, yeah, it's now in my freezer. You seem to be keeping a consistent, consistently full freezer lately with um with the way, the rate you've been going, so. It's, um yeah, it's, uh, be, be touch and go, secret don't last as long. <laughs> Oh, bit. they taste taste a little bit better than red deer. Yeah, that that they also do. So you know, it's a cash twenty two. Get a red and you fill your sinker for uh, fill your freezer for longer, but get a sea carrot. It's way tasty. <laughs> yeah, but they're quite. I didn't even realise I um only went to a a hunting expo and one of the fellows had one there from the North Island and they're tiny. And I had the uh, I'd perceived like perception of a much bigger deer. 
but they're quite a small animal. Yeah, um, I think a stag or an older hind might be, you know, half decent, but yeah, definitely the yearling hind I shot in August and then the spiker I shot in December. Um, yeah, they weren't the biggest. <laughs> yeah, but they're easy to carry the whole thing out. I was about to say, which made it good for that, that second one because I had to carry it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for our, our Aussie um, listeners, um, just uh, might as well uh, introduce yourself and sort of what you do and your profession and the fact that you're a, a host on probably one of the better hunting podcasts in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, I don't. I think you're going to run out of people soon. You've been. <laughs> You've interviewed some of the best seaweed hunters out there and then the no guys. I'm like, how can there be so many? But, um, yeah, give us a bit of a rundown. Sell yourself for a minute. Cheers, Marty. Well, I'm actually an optometrist and I'm a, I'm a born-again hunter. Some people become Christians in their 20s. But, um, no, I became hunter. Um, grew up in Southland, bottom of New Zealand, handy to places like Fiordland and, and Central Otago. But, and even Southland itself has got fantastic hunting um duck shooting's pretty big down there like they they uh reschedule the rugby season on opening weekend so that everyone can get out and and go duck shooting and, and that sort of stuff so surrounded by plenty of hunters but basically growing up on Matani and and we, we would take the 22 with us camping every now and again and and if we were lucky we'd go for a walk around someone's farm and you know try clean up the rabbit population which Central Otago, they're pretty abundant and be, be a bit like you guys over in Australia. But yeah, um, sports person growing up and, and academic, trying to go to uni and became an optometrist. And, and by the time that was all done, I still hadn't done any hunting. So yeah, once that was over and I was able to afford a firearm, got the firearm and then it was just a matter of, right, I suppose you've got to go and do this thing now. And um, spent 10 years wandering around the bush trying not to get lost, trying to find what where animals might hide out. Um, and, yeah, as I said, in December last year, finally managed to get one on public land. And yesterday was a was a second public land deer, so that was pretty awesome. And then when it comes to the podcast, um, as an optometrist, you know, you deal with one person every half an hour or 40 minutes or so, and, and you have these recurring conversations and just thought that, you know, podcasting might be a, better way to reach more people and talk about more broad topics and sort of once Tarmageddon came along last year um, and, and had Joseph Peter on um, and, and also I'd had Adam, Kav- Adam Kavner on who you've spoken with. Um, yeah, I moved back to New Zealand and had this flurry of, of hunters come on board and it was kind of like once you get one, you get them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's definitely been a, a good listen and, and I listen to quite a few of your hunting ones, and they're all very not outspoken, but yeah, pretty passionate in a lot of ways. The Kiwis and is a switched on with what's going on because it, there's not as many people um, care as deeply or or as enthusiastic, so it seems in Australia, for the the fact that a minute someone threatens something, it's like we should. I wish we had the same attitude where. Um, they're taking it away from us, but it seems like everyone sort of knuckled down and got together. And then once there were a couple of voices, they all got behind it. And yeah, I know a lot of Australians put in 
and um, voice their opinions and sign petitions and things like that. I still get like spam email from every politician that I put a email through about the, the tarkal and something else to keep getting these regular, this is what we're doing this week in this community. But um, yeah, it's, it's great to hear it directly from the guys that are over there. And it, it's a refreshing, a refreshing is sort of um, slightly inspirational the way that some of those fellas talk about their hunting and, um, and their hunting in slightly like your hunting, New Zealand's hunting. Yeah. And um, what what potentially they're trying to trying to change, and especially with the gun laws and everything else, that massive change at 2019 in New Zealand. It's um, it's great for you to provide them with a voice, also. So um, yeah, good on you for that. Yeah, I guess I think it says for me, like having this platform established, and you know, for someone who's Ten years into something and put so much time and, and a little bit of money into it to then have all those rights taken away now. Um, I've been an avid, you know, reader of publications and and read the odd hunting book and you know I always sit down and watch watch hunting shows or, or hunting videos on YouTube and stuff. And then for the potential for that to be gone from me to be able to talk with people that know what they're talking about. And I've got experiences just, you know, it's pretty privileged. And, like, that's kind of the selfish side of hosting a podcast is you get to sort of say, hey, I've got a platform. Do you want to come on and have a conversation? And then as it comes across, you get to hear all these absolute gems. And I suppose New Zealand as a country, since I think around the 70s or so, it's been pretty much open slather on going after deer. Um, so there's sort of two or three generations of people that, you know, just – go and get out there and, and then for that to be no longer a thing, you know, it might need to be the way that we do it. We might to sort of start licensing going hunting or something, but um, yeah, we, we need to protect it all this way of life that we've known for 50 odd years and, and more traditionally, you know, it's been around since late 1800s um, could well be gone. Now what that means for the ecology, which is why, um, sort of the hunting side of things wants to be banned or not banned or eliminated how that's going to work if there's no hunters out there taking animals i don't know but yeah it's uh, it's a bit of a catch-22 uh careful what you wish for 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 the other side of the argument i think yeah they, they they're similar here within regards to i after the bushfires are um big uh, issues with pest species becoming more dominant through the where the natives are more vulnerable mm. because our pest species are, are bigger animals. They've got more ability to get away from the thick stuff versus the natives in the marsupials, which are a lot smaller. And they, they have the feeling that the pest species are going to dominate. And it's, it's like the, there's no options to send the country and New Zealand is even more so there's, you can't, it's just not open paddocks to go and you just don't bait stuff and you can't just fly over the top and shoot everything with a chopper. Like all the all the farmers and all the, the properties where all the people shoot deer and and rabbits and all the trapping all those uh, little animals and stuff that just people don't realise. I don't think I don't think anyone ever counts what farmers what um, private hunters do for farmers, hmm. especially on fringe country. And and they they won't yeah they they won't get that here the same as they just don't understand and they just think once we stop all the hunters that's our Emotional needs covered, 
how how are we going to spend all these billions of dollars to to maintain these like keep these things under control so yeah it's a, it's it's hard you'd probably have the which is why another reason to get you on is you spoke to so many guys in regards to the situation over there um, from all over NZ and on and impacting on on like some of them are, are guides and others are just privateers and backcountry hunters who just live for it and um, what the impact of culling and baiting and anyone who follows um, what's his name the Kiwi Bushman would know he, he's often posting impacts of of the baiting programs in the river systems but it's um what's your take on it so far what what have you gathered up from all the intel has has starting off with the tar and then the gun restrictions has it affected the uh the the image at all over there for hunting like has it affected the people that come in to to guide have they have, have guides noticed it's harder to get get the um the tar or the chamois or or free range reds or anything like that since this in, uh, and have they had issues with um clients coming in and having gun restriction issues i guess the yeah i guess we're lucky currently that um that bill hasn't been pushed through yet and they were sort of trying to pass it on the anniversary of of the shooting last year which i don't know that, yeah, Paper, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one whole one whole side of the parliament fighting against it, isn't there? Yeah, and um, the uh, we've we've got a sort of Labour-led government there at the moment, but it's also made up of a um, of the uh, small portion of the Greens, which who have the the conservation portfolio, which is where a lot of you know that's where the the tarkal come from, and you know there's potential this year for um, culling of, of deer going on, but we'll, we, we'll wait and see. Um, and yeah, I, th I think in terms of free range guiding, you know, s someone that, as I said, sort of kicked it off for me with hunters was, was Joseph Peter. He he's more concerned with what's going to happen in, in 10 years time when we've cleared away, you know, all these, all these nannies. And there's the potential for guys to, you know, take an informed opinion out there and one, shoot up a whole bunch more nannies when it's already being done um, by the paid people. And, and two, not really age or score the bull population. And then we have, you know, no breeding population and, and no uh, quality males out there. And, and there's potential for and I think that's un unlikely given given the range of the animals but you know there's a potential for the quality to drop again and, and you know it's probably um, it's probably a little bit unfortunate that the tarka was come along with some of the greatest bulls that have been shot for for ages you know sort of 14 inches is starting to become the um, you know the target instead of the sort of target. yeah, yeah well. just, just they've got they've got into um into some good management a good ten years worth of hunters taking the right animals and the big ones eluding hunters as well as being left as left with some big animals and now yeah they're at that point where they're knuckling down on them 
yeah. But I guess, um, and if you listen to Cam Speedy, and we were lucky enough to have him at our um, New Zealand East Talkers at the start of the month talk about Seeker, but if you listen to his sort of opinions, and that's why I don't, I don't think the population will actually collapse, but we just might lose a little bit of that quality for a while. But when it comes to a, a true trophy management herd, by his opinions, it really is about getting rid of the girls and, and having as many blokes as you can and, and then selectively managing the the, the boys. And, and so if, if you sort of see that bull that's, that's old and he's... He, he, you know, he had a few bad years, then taking him is not going to be so bad. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, it's a wild population, and so it's probably more about the quality of their feed. And, and so if the, you know, if the numbers aren't going to be so intense, well, then we might still see these 14-inch uh, bulls because they've been able to, you know, fill, the, fill up their guts for a number of years and uh, with that get really good horn growth. Yeah. Also with those... And it's the same with the deer. You, you'd want a uh, a low low doe ratio to uh, like high buck numbers, so that you've got a a more interesting rut. <laughs> yeah. Plus, um, but it, you often get when there's not as big a numbers, they're not as easy to pick off. So those smaller groups get time to hide away as well. So you'll get if you haven't got a herd to chase, if you're only chasing five or six tar, they're going to be harder to spot mm. in the mountains versus thirty of them. So if you've got lots of smaller mobs, you've got the opportunity for those bulls to stay out of sight for longer as well. Um, yeah. Possibly another way to look at it. But, but yeah, it sort of goes up and down and depending on who the media is, is how much we hear over here. But it's sort of at a stagnant point until recently when that bill got pushed through for the gun laws, like or trying to push it through. You sort of don't get kept up unless we chase it. Um, but as you know, we all, a lot of Aussies love hunting the NZ tar and reds and, and fellow, whatever we, we can. But um, the older coronavirus uh, right on point is um, going to put a, a slow to that this year, I think, too. I don't know if you saw the press release. Yeah. Or um, all coming into the country. Some, oh, I haven't called the number. I was going to call it tonight to see what type of isolation, whether they class isolation in a hire car on the way to the West Coast as isolation or whether we've got to actually not go to any shopping centres or anything like that when we fly in, which would yeah. affect our stocking up. <laughs> fly yeah. in. Uh, two, two weeks in the bush, I think, is pretty isolated. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I don't think... It, if we got sick in there, we'd just blame the weather. <laughs> that would be the easiest thing. I've got a flu because it's minus 20. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Um, have you? Um, is that on your radar? So, what you as a hunting career, sort of like said, you went for ten years. Did Did you not really have a group of mates that were full into it as much as you wanted to be, or or sort of um, someone to look up to or follow around? What What took you to the point you're at now to develop into a better hunter? Yeah, it was it was basically that. Um, having gone to uni in Auckland. Um, it's you know pretty metropolis. It, it gets gets a bad rap uh, for being pretty uh, poncy. Um, and in saying that though, they, they've got one of the best deer talkers clubs in the countries right now. Um, they, they're doing great things up there, which is fantastic to see from you know a major city. But um, yeah, uh, none of the guys I flattered with hunted. Um, when I 
even when I went to university in Dunedin, um, the two guys I ended up fighting with I had been hunting with, but again, they, one of them was from a farm and the other one just sort of was a bit like me, had an interest in it. And yeah, then I moved to Christchurch and I didn't have a firearm as well. That probably hindered, hindered me. And then I finally got a firearm when I, when I moved to the Waikato. But um, there I was playing rugby, so, you know, training and, and, and playing. And then so it was just kind of, you know, Sunday morning missions or, or the odd overnighter. And, and, yeah, just going by myself, basically. Guys preferred to finish rugby and get on the booze instead of um, going out for a walk in the bush. And, yeah, it's... It's one of those places where the population's not that high and, and the bush is pretty dense and you've got to find your little uh, honey hole bef- before you can get successful and um, prob- probably didn't find it or, or nearly found it and, and then I, I moved on. So ended up over there in Australia. <laughs> yeah, did you did you get to do any? I can't remember because I only, only just... Um started listening to your podcast when you I think you had 12 months left yeah. here in Australia yeah no I got to get moved, rid of me <laughs> moved to North, northern New South Wales and so um, yeah it, it probably would have been a couple of hours drive to go to the border range or down down to Grafton area or something like that um, and so with with young family and obviously not having a firearm with me or you know hadn't picked up a bow by that by that stage, so no, I didn't didn't get into any hunting. There was a guy at the at the gym I went to that um, sort of had family down towards Grafton, and yeah, they chased the old pigs around. Which, but again, never got never got to join them on that. Yeah, I, when we spoke, you were gonna, I think, and you're talking to Adam about uh, trying to get to do something before you left, but it never eventuated. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you didn't seem to have a whole lot of time either. Yeah, I think I think Victoria might be the place I'd come over and, and check out and spoken with quite yeah. a few of the blokes from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of it's full of full of uh, public land in Victoria, which is great. So you don't um everyone has their spots of course, but you don't feel as I don't think a lot of guys aren't as cagey about invo- inviting guys along yeah. when they hunt public land and sort of a common common spot. They um don't yeah it's not like taking someone to your private block um you can be more a bit more generous with it yes and plus if, with enough information which you should have and knowing enough people um they could just send you out um to fend for yourself <laughs> yeah if you wanted to go that way yeah just watch out but, for snakes ah <laughs> oh, there's plenty of them around you don't have to watch out they'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, we, we, yeah, have those, we have plenty of those in Bellinor, eh? Right? Um, my partner managed to walk walk in front of a, a brown, I think, in the first two weeks we were there. So that was, you know, introductory to Australia. He's, he's one of the most poisonous stinks. Yeah, lucky they don't. They sort of stay out of your way most of the time unless you step right on them and then you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I, I was out yesterday, day before yesterday. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, there's the first. I I don't see that many snakes. I don't look for them. I think that's why I don't really care if they're around. So I never get to see that many. But there was a good six foot brown bruising over a log, um, which is pretty unusual. I normally see a lot of a lot of black snakes more than anything. 
Yeah. Maybe just because of their colour. But um, they don't seem to bother me unless I'm... I'll still yell if I step on one. But, um, yeah, if I see them first, it's not a real issue. Yeah. So, don't have to worry about that kind of stuff in the... You guys don't have any snakes, do you? Or do you have one type? No, nah, we've got nothing. Any. So nothing. the most um, the most you'll get annoyed with is rats, possums, and um, I doubt a state would come visit, but they're, they're around as well. But, yeah, I, th- I thought we were going to get bugged by a possum last night, but managed to stay away. We must have stunk bad enough or something. <laughs> yeah, come and ch- chase food. In your camp, do they? Yeah, oh, they're out, they're out. They're an Aussie import anyway. Then things you can shoot them. Yeah, well, well that's that's sort of um, one of the alternative debates that people sort of say is you know let us bring a twenty two and and be able to use it with a spotlight while we're in there, and we'll take care of some of the yeah. problems. Like last night, walking walking back down, I think we put put this, um, the head torch on about four or five possums. There was, there was one, yep. one stage where we had one one either side of the of the creek bed and it was kind of like, oh, look at those bloody things. Bright, bright orange eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great for a little um, silence 22 to just pop them off. Keep yeah. the serenity in the, in, the, in the mountains. You're not making too much noise. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, when you're talking about guys um, doing the fringe country, that's where... You know, a lot of farmers and or kids of farmers do a lot of good. Um, there was a wicked article on on our news the other day of um, a potiki is sort of the bottom of Bay Plenty going into um, the East Cape, and they had a, these these couple of mums have organised a competition that's the opposite of usual hunting competitions, and it's basically about getting kids along to bring as many possums and rabbits and um, stoats and goats as they possibly can and, and yeah everyone gets a prize as well it's a pretty fantastic little event for that for a sort of a small community yeah we we got um got that shared by a few people on facebook yeah i bet it it probably caused some outrage but it's good to normalize that kind of behavior um and anyone that does get cranky can suck a fat one but it it, it was good to see there's quite a large um particip- participation by the look of it as well yeah, and th- thankfully the story was reported on our Channel 1, which is our sort of national um, uh, broadcaster. It's kind of like ABC, I guess. And um, it was the sort of the after news stuff. So um, Jeremy Wells, who hosts that, he uh, is from one of our sort of more risque radio stations. Um, they're called Hauraki or Hauraki. Um, and they sort of came about by doing pirate radio. They they sort of got a oh, boat. A bit rebellious. Yeah, they got a boat out in, in the Auckland Harbour, and they were in international waters and started broadcasting rock and roll to the to the land sort of stuff. And yeah, so that, that, oh, as a as an inspiration to that that pommy mob that did it. Yeah, so like, was it inspired by that pommy mob that put that big ship out? Is that yeah. where they got the idea from? Yeah. yeah, it was a that that story that movie is basically the same as these blokes. Eh? and you know I think they got shipwrecked a little bit as well. But yeah, so this yeah. guy Jeremy Wells, he's, he's on on the morning show, and um, they even they even got uh, international recognition. They asked the prime minister 
whether or not he feeds the chickens. So they had to have this um, sort of 10 questions thing. And one of it was like, do you do wheeze in the shower? And um, have, you, <laughs> have you fed the chickens in the last month? And so they did that to the Prime Minister. I think it was on, <laughs> on uh, The Daily Show or whatever. But yeah, and then they, they also, they're also on this thing um, called the ACC, which is the Alternative Commentary Collective. So instead of uh, listening to the one day and listen to the usual Babylon, you can listen to these guys talk absolute trash, drinking too many beers and, and just... Being, oh, that'd be gold. Oh, yeah, and for a while there, they had the sports years programmed into them, so you could be at the ground listening listening to these guys, and so they'd get chants going and all sorts. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. Yeah, so for, for, going back to the, the news story, before he even before the thing even got started, he basically said this one's for the peace uh president of the pc brigade can you please you know write your letter into me and and, and i'll t- tell you to piss off sort of thing and then <laughs> he's so, preparing for it tell him it there then say what you want but um yeah yeah he's not like, gonna so, make any difference yeah he's like this is bloody awesome man. and it is it's you know and when small small town is on becoming more and more isolated as you know automation and and um, especially if we, as we convert to more dairy, um, you know, you only need a couple of blokes to, to run a massive mob. Um, yeah. and, and everyone sort of moves to the city and, and the, the rest of the country gets blamed for, for all the issues. Um, yeah, to, to have a whole bunch of people from a massive region come together in the name of hunting is pretty bloody awesome. And, you know, like going back to your earlier question about a mentor or, or a group of mates, well, that's the sort of place that you meet a mentor and a group of mates, and, and that's what's been really good about joining the Deerstalkers since coming back to the country is, you know, meeting people and, and, and sort of exchanging information and exchanging tips and going out on hunts with people. It's, it's bloody awesome. Yeah, that's what I like about this podcast, like that we do. Like it, it's an excuse for me to meet people yeah. and um, talk to people and, I don't even need to go hunting, but just to, to share conversation on points of view or, or ideas or tests or trials and everything's a benefit, everything, or even what areas to, to visit or what to stay away from or people to watch out for, the fakies. That <laughs> may appear good, but it's all bull crap or all smoke and mirrors. So, yeah, it's, and it's good, those clubs. There's a lot of guys in there that... It, is I've uh, I went to one meeting yeah, and it's full of guys that none of them were on social media. It was a it was a, a ADA meeting here in Victoria yeah, and there's some I can imagine there's a lot of older fellas in the room. There's a lot of knowledge and they look at things a whole lot differently to what our generation looks at it. Even like the, just the hunting side of the way they did it because they've been doing it like that for forty years and um, even with all the info we're presented with now the stuff they had still be really beneficial. And the only way you're going to get that is by meeting them in person yeah. or hearing them speak in person. It's just, it can't be written or, or shown or YouTube, if you know what I mean. Like that kind of uh, different information is what you get through meeting and greeting. Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing up the fakies there. You, you've been lucky enough to even feature on a few pages that aren't your own, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they're they're all like I think they're all got the same similar traits. Those ones they've all got a a full stop and something else and some fake name and yeah they copy and paste. They even 
they even used the wrong descriptions off the wrong posts. They stole even photos of hunting camp down under. And they were using the descriptions off one photo of, of, of Josh, Rogers, Josh Rogers calling him me and calling me Josh Rogers in another one. They'd swapped over the – they'd just copied and pasted the, the, the dialogue at the bottom of it and um, put it in. But, yeah, that's – it's um yeah, it's great to have that. Yeah, all this this um technology is good, but still, there's nothing beats that that getting to face to face um and meeting people face to face and having mm-hmm. that. It, it's so so much different, and people I didn't appreciate it till I went to a club. I just thought, yeah, I don't need a club. Clubs are for guys who don't hunt a lot or they need social life. But then I went there, but there's so much. So much more benefit. You can't be told till you go. And yeah. then you go and you have the epiphany and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm an idiot. But <laughs> <For> not, not, <laughs> not doing this earlier. And maybe like yourself, you're like, oh, I should have joined that club 10 years ago. I would have been eating venison a lot quicker. Yeah. No. And, and, and I guess that sort of face-to-face value sort of stuff, like um, when it came to, like, like I've been going through a few personal things in my life at the moment that I'm not too public on just yet but um yeah I sort of messaged a guy that lives over the other side of the of the ranges here and said what are you doing as in yesterday and he said oh yeah well, I'm keen we'll meet halfway type of thing um because I was down down the bottom of the North Island at, at my mate's wedding and it was like um got there on the Thursday night and and Overindulged, so so the Friday was a bit dusty, and and then we had the wedding on the on the Friday, and um, I think it was quite good to do that first night because it meant that come the second night I had a bit more of a plan, you know, stayed on the wines and drunk plenty of water, went home to bed and had a good sleep, and I was actually feeling all right yesterday. But even so, it would have been pretty easy to just go, oh nah, I won't worry about it, or or oh, better get home and sort sort my life out, sort of thing, but. It was, yeah, ultimate commitment, and especially when you have someone being accountable to, that's also got to drive a couple of hours. And, yeah, you just sort of get out there and, and you know, you, you're walking on into the track, you're going along a little creek and in the trees, and you just sort of, everything just disappears for you. You know, you you take the odd snap to to remember the, the time, but you're just not even caring about the thing in your pocket, and, you know, you just completely honed in on what it is that you're trying to do and then even walking out today it was kind of like walking along going I don't remember any of this I was just so honed in trying to um, see where animals might be or or listen or, or whatever and and yeah it's truly therapeutic getting out there and getting away from the city and all the town and all your problems or thoughts and everything it's, it's pretty great yeah it gives you um it gives you it's like when you're trying to run too many programs on your computer <laughs> and then you just gotta close them all down and reboot it. And it's a bit like that with your when you go bush and you got a heap of loaded things up and you're waiting or worried about something else and then you go out out into the scrub and everything one by one, all those things just drop off because there's no no room for that stuff in your head when you're out in nature. Yeah, you, you just that's it's a, I don't know what it is. I, there's, I suppose lots of people do it for lots of different things, and we've discussed this. I discussed this with Adam Kavanagh. There's 
it's like a, a mild pullman and you might know because you would have done tried meditation or done some meditation but it's like a conscious meditation but even when you're out there it's just everything switches off all you're doing is looking for shadow yeah. looking for a movement of that deer it takes all your concentration but at the same time it doesn't take as any energy it yeah. doesn't wear you out to sit out there and breathe in the clean air and and walk it doesn't take there's no mental strain on you why you're out there and although it could mean the difference between eating dinner and starving depends what you packed in but it it still doesn't weigh on your mind um hunting like other activities which will be far less strenuous and probably in the big scheme of things far far less impactful on your life Mm. um and then but it's just, yeah, and you forget sometimes. I don't know if you notice, you you be away from it. And then when you decide to go and do it, just that 10 minutes after you get out of the car and hit the ground walking, you just forget that you needed that. Mm. Like, should have come back last week or the week before or the week before that. So, And then finding someone, like I said, to walk with. Um, that can be a good thing too, depending who you're sharing it with. Yeah. So someone you can offer. Yeah, offload yeah. with them, especially, you know, yeah. we, we went out in, in summer and um, I'm sure you should just be like you guys over there, middle of the day, you kind of twiddle your thumbs and wonder what wonder what to do with yourself. And, you know, you can, have, have, you, you can have a nap and then you <laughs> can, can only nap for so long because, like, it still doesn't get dark till 9.30 and you're like, oh, shit, it's only, it's only 4 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too too bloody hot to walk around, um, but yeah. So then you just start yarning, and you know you could talk about the weather. But when you're out in the bush, the weather's pretty bloody obvious. And, and yeah. you know, yeah, the sports or work or whatever. But when you've got you know eight hours to kill, those conversations dry up pretty fast. So then you just start talking about other things. And then I think yeah, it's it's you more of a you know, there's no small talk. You don't, there's no small, it's not, there's no small talk in the bush. You're not there to, oh yeah, how are things going? Oh yeah, it's good, mate. What are you up to? Oh, not much. No, it's always um, good, deep conversation. Yeah. You're both at a, the person you're with can offer advice as well because they're in the same um, point of ease. You know what yeah. I mean? You're open-minded. So. That is true, right? There's, there's, that's like, Especially because you're in so much space and so much openness, if you just said, "Oh, hey, going good," well, then it'd be like, "Well, this is a sweet bloody trip, isn't it?" Like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a shit bloke to hunt with. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess I guess that forces you to just sort of uh, try expand your ideas just a little bit and, and, and dig deep into that vocabulary. Maybe if it is, you know, filled with a bit of profanities to color color up the language, but. Gosh, you know, if you if you just said, "Oh, you're good," yeah, yeah, exactly that. You'd be a pretty shit hunting partner, and you wouldn't 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 get invited back. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's why it's good to have found hunting with a lot of guys that I have never met before. It's different. You can talk to people that you don't know about totally different things, and and also I don't know if you know, you're more inclined to take in what people tell you as well when you're out in the hunting camp, and yeah. um, more interested. Not that you're not normally, your brain's normally full of crap and shit normally, even just having a social night out. But 
out when you're sitting around a campfire or hunting, you remember what they tell you, and you're more interested in in them things is going on, or you know what I mean. There's more. It's a more fulfilling conversation, even if you talked about the same things, just because you're more absorbent and more free with what you're talking about, which is why, as well, I'd say that it, it's a, a great sort of reset for people. They can exhale all the crap mm. um, and have someone to discuss it with if, if they get in that situation. So, or you can talk about really good stuff. Yeah. And, how your imaginary deer going to shoot tomorrow? It's just going to walk out. <laughs> <laughs> and I fourteen point. Yeah, for that, there's like there's like nowhere to go. There's no report to write. Your laptop's not there. Your phone's not. Well, your phone might be there, but it's not bloody working. And so it's no. it's just it's just kind of like, well, what's the point in checking it or whatever? Is it just uh, you know how people talk about these digital detoxes? Well. Just go go in the bush. You can't use it, so that it becomes useless. It becomes a non-factor. It's just, you know that's one of the things. Chuck will look says you know if you want to do stuff, just make it non-factor. You know, have your clothes sitting yeah. there in the morning. Get up, put them on. Where you go? <laughs> yeah. And and so and isn't it funny that when you go hunting, all of a sudden you can get up at five o'clock when it's still dark, or three o'clock when it's still dark, and get out there and climb yeah. the hill, and it's it's no worries at all. <laughs> And and if uh, like in winter time, I'll be like, yes, it's raining, because <laughs> <laughs> I know the hunting can be it's way better stalking with the bow if it's drizzly weather. But yeah. um, if I was to stay at home and have to mow the lawn, I'd be like, oh damn, it's raining. What what am I going to do now? I'd, well, I got a job in the shed. But if you're, you're like, yes, I'm going hunting, I'd quite drizzly. The only weather I don't like, windy weather. I yeah. I'll turn around and go home if I got gale force winds, but. Rain's not an issue or anything like that. But um, it's definitely it's one of those. those you said those detox, or you gotta you gotta have to do it. It's if you say to yourself when you go hunting, even if you're in reception, which I am for half of my hunt. The rest I'm not. Actually, yesterday is the first time I left on Friday. I left the phone in the car. No, nice. not deliberately. I like to show photos and do the odd insta story that i never post because i never shoot anything and it's real boring so i always delete the insta stories by the end of the hunt because it's just boring but yeah i left it in the car but when i came back yeah, i had six missed calls and messages and and stuff like that but i never used to hunt with it so i don't know why it's so it's a dependable item now to hunt with because what well, there's as little as six years ago I'd, or even less i didn't get reception where i hunted there's none did you carry a camera? Yeah, I had a camera. Oh, no. Yeah, I had a film camera. Like, oh, no. When did I get the film, finish the film camera? And probably 12 years ago, I bought a 2005, 15 years ago, I got a digital camera. Yeah, I've always had a digital camera. Yeah. Um, to hunt with. Yeah, and I've never needed But now the phone, the priority of me buying a new phone is got to have a good camera. That's yeah. all I want. I don't want any of this other crap. I don't want any glass back. Buddy, glass front wireless charging, buddy, all that extra crap. I just want a good camera and something that can make phone calls and the battery doesn't go flat after 20, 20 hours or 12 hours or whatever. Yeah, that's, just the, don't make them. that's the other good thing for hunting, eh? Hey? If you've got to go, go on with a good, good camera and good battery life, then, you, uh, yeah. then you're always going to be able to get that photo after you, you slogged it out for five days. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I do. That's I like that 
taking the technology for that reason. I love reliving or sharing what what's happened. So, and like yourself, yeah, you do good stories where you're on your effort, regardless if you you don't try and butter it up either. You know, you're normally mm-hmm. buggered and and worn out, um, biking rivers or whatever, or through the scrub. So. I think I think I just don't really care. Like I still, you know, it's been a, a long time hunting, but I'm still learning. And so, if I can just, just sort of what I'm trying to do is try to communicate. This is what I'm trying to do, and and hopefully, and it has happened. People chip in and give you some advice. It's bloody awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got any tips for this or that? So, will this be your first this year? Be your first proper sicker raw. Like, yeah. or squeal or whatever they what do they call it? <laughs> <laughs> Going nuts, I think is what they call it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's you know not to talk about the weather, but that's what we've you know we're sort of in this drought that just won't end and won't end for us. Um, like where I was at my mate's place, um, south here, helping him with that fence. It's just bone dry, and, and yeah, he had a little bit of green there the other day, but. I think already that stuff's gone. Like again, the wind picks up and just dries out. There's lots, lots of guys that have got rid of stock. Though. There's plenty of empty paddocks and things. Yeah. Like that. So yeah, every week we sort of us in town and, and them out there look at the forecast, kind of think, well, when's where's there going to be a front come through and, and turn the bush and and um, chill off so that that things start to go, but. Yeah, it was quite exciting last night. There was uh, a red stag giving a bit of a bark, so and he had two hinds with him. So I guess they, there must be the odd hind that's starting in the cycle. You know, it's pushing on since the since the equinox, so they can't be far away yeah. from being in heat. So we'll we'll see how yeah, it they goes. should. Yeah, they should be. Um, as uh, Peeler said, we had we had that. Super bad drought. I don't, there's no, there's no explanation. We haven't had a drought as bad since mm. the white fellas have been here anyway. And um, it's just broken to a degree. Dams are full, but our creeks aren't running constantly yet. Our, our river here at home hasn't even run yet. But we've had enough rain to go from two years of dirt, ruts, <laughs> and roars to now grass that's knee high, and I keep tripping over because all the rocks. <laughs> I used to be able to see. I can't see anymore. But we we went had a horrible rut last year because um, the deer were so – it was hot. It was 30 degrees some days. Jeez. So, uh, one, they didn't have the water. Then they didn't have the energy because there was no feed. So they would be vocal for a very short period of time in the morning, if that, and then that was it. And then they'd shut down. The does wouldn't travel. They wouldn't they, – it just was no activity. But this year – and we've had massive chopper shots. There's, there's a pro- property I hunted since God knows. I, was, I started shooting when I was eight, and I think I might have gone on there when I was 11. Um, so 20, 25 years, and one of my mates hunts it as well, and he went out there today. And since the chopper shoot, he didn't. this is the first time he's hunted it in 25 or 26 years and seen no deer oh. on it. So we've got a bumper season, but we got, Oh, they've just hammered the deer population. I reckon there's ten percent of the deer in some areas that were there. So we've got ended this drought, but they they did the last cull last year. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a great season 
for a rut. Cold temperatures, great feed, but at home, you know, I just don't think we have the deer. So there will be some. There'll be some going on. But I don't know whether that weather, whether you guys have still got the lasting effects of that drought and whether you'll change in a few months as well. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, you were saying about good good feed and low numbers. Hopefully that means that the ones that have the capability to grow a good paddle, they, they do. But um, you, you said there about does moving. Am, am I wrong in saying that um, fallow, it's kind of the opposite way around where the bucks sort of scrap it out in pads oh. and the does move in? Is that right? No, no, the bucks will move into an area where the does are and then right. create their turf and then set up their turf. But when when the 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 bucks would just run out of energy way too quick, they're all skin and bones last year. Normally they'd follow the does down to water mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. They'll still follow some does off their scrapes down to the water or down to the feed and rut, and then they'll move back up into the bedding areas where they'll have a, a rut pad as well. Yeah. Um, and the satellite bucks would have moved between, but they... I think I think this is my personal view is that they shot a lot more bucks in the culls than they shot does. Mm-hmm. When the bucks get hit, when they're in bachelor mobs, they stay together. They don't ever chase and bomb a bucks. They don't scatter. But mm-hmm. does seem to separate a little bit more than the bucks do. And and I've still got does around, but I haven't seen hardly any velvet bucks. And then just only a few rubbing out now, which normally I can look onto other properties because I've got a, a property right on the range and I can view from one spot and got like three neighbours and you can just view the cleared ridges and I used to be able to watch the, the bucks and the bachelor mobs um, grow out um, in certain places but we've just got nothing so it'll still be a interesting but it might be that they've just got so much so many girls around versus like the, the ratio is way out that it, it may not be that um, exciting the boys might have their work cut out for them they just just all sitting there on a platter. Mm. So they won't have to be as competitive. But um Yeah. <coughs> I guess there's another also got sorry, I was gonna say you got also got the problem too if, if you've got animals, how long has it been dry? Have you got any risk of underweight animals and not cycling because they're underweight or you still got a, a drought for you guys is like a normal season for us, is it? That's right. Well um I I took the jaw off that just one last night because I want to find out like how old it was. But she was she was reasonably thin, like there wasn't much fat fat on her. She's she's still um, lactating, so whether that was with a, an older yearling or, or if there was a fawn around, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's it's kind of like there. She was in like if you're going to condition score, I sort of put my hand on her rump to sort of check. She was probably a two or three, so she wasn't underweight or anything like that. And then there's, there's been, and else I was going to say, the good thing about social media is, you know, you get to see what's sort of around plenty of guys, you know, showing what's in velvet and what they're sort of watching on and then plenty, yep. plenty of guys showing the fat on the back, especially fellow. There's been some bloody good conditioned animals. Granted, they might have been on crop or something, but, yeah, it's, it's that, that's also the tough thing about in New Zealand. There's plenty of guys on with irrigated crop that, you know, they've still got bloody healthy deer because <laughs> that's where the feed is and they've been eating it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, when it, but when it comes to the park, like, uh, there was there was good feed where we were. There was lupins everywhere, um, little little tufts of, of broadleaf and, and 
um, Maui, yeah, lots of, lots of good, good things that they could eat in this area. Um, whereas the Kawakas, being more beach forest, I don't know, being being dry underfoot without much water might, might be, I don't know. But yeah, you, you see plenty of people showing the area and there's enough greenery around it. Yeah, like I say, our drought's a bit different to your drought. <laughs> your drought, it doesn't rain for a week. And it's yeah. a drought. <laughs> <laughs> it has it has been months, but our, our ranges yeah. being, being a bit higher, I guess they accumulate a bit of bit of moisture and, and things like that. So you know, even though yeah, you do you, you get some. Um, do you get still getting mist? You still got moisture in the air, which settles on the mountains and keeps that dampness. Absolutely, or is it complete? Oh, yeah. that's good because that we were getting points where, like. Um, there was no, we had, I don't know how long it was, we didn't have a fog for months and months and months just because there was zero moisture in the air. Mm. So even our timber that's on the top of the mountains facing the south was still, or there was no moss on it. Mm. It was just all dry and crusty and, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, think it's good. I think there's the other cool thing um, for hunters in, in like hearing from people like Cam Speedy, who's an, an ecologist and, and been following Seeker for, what do you say, the 70s or so, like hearing, hearing from people like him and talking about like their patterns and where they live and he's got some papers published out there that you can read about the seeker and I think there's an equivalent one for the South Island red deer. You know, that's what I really would, you know, and I'm a bit of a science geek, so I love reading that sort of stuff, but I think that's what would be really helpful for both New Zealand and Australia, like if we can manage them. And that's what I think is really cool about the North American model, like, Here's the tag for how many that we need to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they're both pest species that have a massive impact on the environment, but we can't um, bridge a, a common ground where they've got to hit a point where the numbers are not impacting anything, but they're sustainable enough that they create and generate an income that can cover for them being in that environment, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like a, a, a farmer is a hundred deer uh, chewing through 150 sheets worth of, of food. Mm, so if right. he can create a revenue to offset that, he'll be happy to keep those deer there. But until they're given a value, we can't, it's, it's sort of a butting a head against the wall. So that's what I was going to say about this coronavirus in NZ. If it affects guides that much it would be a good a good example to show the deficit in income if they push to eradicate massive amounts of tar and deer if this year the the virus inhibits travelers coming in and paying it would show the loss in income to the areas that that live off hunting Mm. in the middle of the year like the good season like all the the west coast towns and stuff that get an on an influx in the tar like influx in the tar ballot or just in the good months it it would be it'd be a with this um sickness or illness and restrictions it would be the only other thing that could be as close to it as possible to show what would happen if you eliminated that industry or reduced it or handicapped it that's a really awesome idea because i think um it's got to come from the people like the chopper pilots, like the people that are monitoring the numbers. Um, if anyone's sort of monitoring the, the plant species that are in there, 
because especially places like West Coast, Central Otago, um, they're tourist destinations anyway. And so it's very easy for the general public to say, oh, no, they're just, it's just from the lack of tourists. But those specific industries and then, yeah, like I say, looking at the outcomes of, of the ecology to say, you know, this is the impact that we actually have, um, both from an economic perspective mm. and from an ecology perspective, you know, uh, yeah, there's a bit of responsibility on those industries not to, you know, it's fair enough to complain that it's it's impacted their, them from an economic perspective, but then also uh, highlight the positive that they do for both um, the land that they're managing and also for the community that they're, they're a part of. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really awesome point that you just brought up and, and you know, hopefully people think about that. Maybe <laughs> You'd be hard pressed to not walk into a place in on the west coast in the peak of the hunting season, or like in the spring, or whenever you know those periods that everyone visits. Even us uh, Aussies over there, because we flood the joint for a little bit. <laughs> but we went into it. There was like uh, one, two. There was about eight of us in the pub one yeah. night. Like, and that's that was one or two nights, plus the caravan park, plus another hotel in town, plus the hire car, plus all that. So. We are doing it because it's harder and, and, and it is a lot cheaper than anywhere else. But that's still, we're still spending a couple of grand each yeah. to go over there for those 10 days. And, and that's, I'm not going to spend any of that now. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not, I'm not giving the local bakery or <clears> the, the, well, I might buy a trinket for the kids and then buy a pie at the bakery and then go and have a night out after we get back and, go nuts because we're enjoying the good food and, and grog like that. The, this is the only time you could measure that is literally mm. the only example of being able to measure that without taking it away fully. Yeah. Because, and, um, and then, yeah, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, even, even myself thinking back to, we, we went to Wanaka one year, we got a Wanaka raw ballot and it was the same weekend as Warbirds over Wanaka. So there's like heaps of people in Wanaka there already. But yeah, like you say, you're at the pub and it's just full of people going hunting and you're on the on the New Zealand flight and there's sort of, you know, a couple of rows of hunting bags in, in the in the overhead and there's a massive queue at the oversized because everyone's checking in their rifles. And yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, well, we, we went to Okatika and Pat forgot salt. Somewhere, so he's walked in the shopping centre and comes out with a, a heap of bags of salt. And old love's like, "You going hunting, bro?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Straight yeah. up, it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, obviously, it, it even even for that, even this, um, even this travel, people aren't travelling as much because of the risk of getting an illness. Even in in house travel from locals, mm. from you guys travelling south to hunt is going to be restricted. Mm. So even if any of the, the, not only the international, but even the local guys, it's going to go, oh, I'm not going to bother wasting my five days off annual leave to go and hunt tar if the chances of getting them have reduced. So, or I know that they've baited that valley for reds, so I'm not going to hunt for reds just because they baited it. So, or baited it for stoats and everything else, but you know what the, other everything else dies anyway. But, um, yeah, they're just, they would, it'll turn your locals away as well. As soon as the rumour goes out, so when they chop a shot up here, they did annihilate it. They just 
like cleaned up massively. The amount of deer is really, really good and really effective, especially for a place like I was saying, my, my hunting block hunted for years and years and years. Although it's disappointing, I watched those farmers shoot every week, shoot deer under the light. They had to. There's just so many of them. Like mm. they shot 219 deer one year in a 12 month period. They only had 1,200 acres. Like, that's a lot of deer. So that they were shooting on that, they shot on one side of that property and yeah. mostly in just one back corner. So I, I'm, it's great for them that these deer have been taken and more happy. But, um, but just that, that rumour that gets out to all the other people that travel from Victoria or Queensland or New South Wales to this area to hunt is enough to just reduce, they're like, oh, I'll go somewhere else. Mm. I don't want to wait for my holidays. So that could, that effect is going to, that, that, all that internal anguish as well. Like you guys are going to say, no, nah, no, nah, I'll just stay and go local. I won't bother going down there if they've baited that valley or they've chopped a cold or anything like that. And, and this with this, with this, I hate saying coronavirus because it's bloody everywhere. With the old, it's just annoying to have to say it. But again, the same thing, it'll be the same, it'll even be locals who aren't traveling hmm. just because there's no need to travel. So in Australia, they'd say it's just because they've got no toilet paper. Kiwis aren't as dumb as us when it comes to uh, buying all the toilet paper at the shops. So, yeah, it's happening in America as well. Yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah you, it's, you need more tissues, not toilet paper. You get a runny nose, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you're saying about you know hiring cars and stuff. Like I was up in Auckland um, last weekend hiring the car, and then the shuttle driver taking me back. He's like, "Oh, think of like you say the locals." He said, "Think of you guys coming in, or us would be absolutely screwed." And he sort of gave me his normal, you know, amount of trips each week. He sort of said that they hired out about 350 cars normally, and they were only doing 150. So that basically nearly halved their, their um, amount of hires and they were the cheapest one as well. And I was thinking, gee whiz, you know, it's not, it's not just. And that's, not a, that, and that's before they bring in this um, requirement to ring them up yeah. and do your 14 days quarantine and it's only <laughs> going to get stricter, but it's only going to get worse. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know when it'll end. I've, I was glad I booked. I booked my flights for my Landsborough ballot um, back December or January and I got travel insurance. So I'm hoping I'm covered because I purchased it way before it became an issue Yeah. Um, to get my money back on my flights. I still like to go. I don't know what the whole details are. They might say, yeah, um, where do you work? If you, how often do you frequently travel around? What areas do you suppose? They might do a case-to-case situation. I'm not sure. Um, when you call them up, come over. I'll cross that bridge when I get there. So. Hey man, there's going to be a lot of resources. <laughs> oh, there's going to be a lot of people. It's funny, they're, they're saying, you know, just isolate yourself or take some time off at work. And it's like they're giving welfare recipients more money to handle the coronavirus. I'm like, they're not the ones who have to take voluntary time off work. <laughs> so, Although yeah. I'm saying that, they're probably the ones that are the most valuable, so uh, valuable, mm. vulnerable. Um, yeah. You know, and it might be the the difference that they, you know. Oh, the elderly most definitely, but I know there's a lot of young ferals kicking about. <laughs> yeah. They got they got immune systems like that are more bulletproof 
<laughs> than a tank. They, yeah. they could eat whatever they want and not catch any, you know, those kids that run around with uh, middle of winter with a pair of shorts on and a singlet and no shoes and they just never get sick. They've got yeah. super immune system. So. Might be something in that cold exposure, eh? <laughs> uh, I've, I've, uh, I've said that till I had a conversation with a lady here before and I'm like, well, you know, you kill viruses if you do the Wim Hof breathing and your body will change your, change your chemistry and just kill it. Done. Over. Because <laughs> <laughs> why isn't everyone else doing it? Because it's hard work and no one wants to do hard work. Also, also, you um, you might meet meet your ancestors as well. That's, that's what happened to yeah. me. <laughs> I I never I never got that when I I did it. I just got lightheaded and saw stars and sort of yeah. You had a full roaring experience, didn't you? you, you yeah, well, Mark, Mark, out of it. Mark Clover reckoned I was roaring a bit on there. I don't know. I don't remember. I was <laughs> I was, I was blacked out. <laughs> if anyone listening doesn't know what it is, it's Wim Hof is uh Wim Hof is a, a gentleman who's who's is travelled all over the world looking for uh his wife died or committed suicide and he's thinking he's trying to trying to help mental health rather than trying to see the answer to life and happiness and inner happiness and found uh found a way to expose your body to cold and what is it? It saturates your body with oxygen and yeah. Changes your autoimmune system to pretty much be manual, and and it changes everything. So it's he's worth a look up if you're into that sort of stuff. He's worth the YouTube, and it's funny we talk about virus. It'd be great to see someone who's diagnosed with it do the Wim Hof and see whether it kills the virus in sort of the twenty minute half an hour period. Yeah, well, that's a, that's very a, interesting. That's the that's the thing about um, what they sort of think. Like it's a pretty bad flu, but then your immune system starts going into overdrive and then then you end up in trouble. So that that study they did where um they injected women and a couple of others with um the bacterial E. coli Yeah, E. coli. Yeah, the endotoxin and, and when they didn't do the breathing they got the fevers and all the rest and then they did the breathing and it was like nothing had happened. <laughs> yeah, that it was such a shock. So I, I can't I understand like it I know, but I've done it a few times when I feel like I'm getting a, a flu or a cold coming down. Um, but I haven't been sick since I started being so in the carnival. So I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been crook. I've, my, I can't remember having a runny nose for more than a little while in the last sort of 14 months. Yeah. So, no, no, definitely, definitely um, I haven't gone full carnival and I'm thinking about it, but Moving to this farm, we're going to be pretty close to the food anyway, but it'll be reasonably meat centric. But yeah, like, whole foods, so fresh veggies and yeah, fresh everything just straight straight out of their garden. Hey, eh? they got you know, um, got uh, angora goats, so they've got this beautiful, you know, nourishing sheep or goat poo that they put in the garden and dig in, and yeah, things grow like wildfire. <laughs> yeah. That's soil health. That's a a thing too. But I I don't know. I can't step back from it. I try to. I try to eat veggies sometimes, but I just don't. <laughs> it <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It's even like my daughter ate like um, you know she doesn't want to eat broccoli or she eat the odd carrot or the odd potato and stuff like that. And she eat she eats you know fruit and I just sort of make the rule that it should be seasonal and, and I won't worry about it. But yep. yeah. You know, she'll smash the meat and 
when it comes to VGs, I'm not so worried. It's just as long as she's growing, it's all. <laughs> it's all. Yeah, good. that's what. That's what our friends. The whole different perception on it because she's done. She's actually uh, had all her blood tests and everything. She did it for uh, like four months or six months or something, and did all her blood tests, and she had nothing. Everything was normal. Yeah. No high cholesterol or anything. Nice. And she's a lot more hardcore than I am. Like she's in diet. She's even freezing liver and dicing it up and eating the one cube a day. And I, I'm not. I'm not that hardcore. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What was what was her motivation for kicking into that? Proved me wrong, but she didn't. <laughs> so she's like, didn't believe me, and um, I said it'll improve your kid, the relationship with your kids. It'll improve, yeah, 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 energy, everything, everything. I said, um, I didn't force it. I just said, try it. I said, this is happening to me, yeah, and. Um, and everything happened to her full on without even half going. Her relationship just got better with the children. Um, she stopped needing naps, <laughs> way more energy, lost weight, lost bloating, came healthier, doesn't give a rat's ass about half the things she used to. And, um, yeah, and she has no desire to change. Back. Yeah, and that's the thing I was kind of wonder, going back to that, like, um, no issues type stuff or, or, you know, you've got everything in place and it's just to eat, eat meat. But then you kind of like when it starts to become that you only need two meals for the day, then you kind of go, well, why was I eating so much and, and what was I doing with all that time? And, and yeah. but, then, but then at the same time, like you say, your energy is so consistent and you're not getting those lows, you're not getting that mid-afternoon, oh, man, I need to have a nap or another coffee and oh, I shouldn't have a coffee because then I won't go to sleep at night and then you're just in this vicious cycle of being tired in the afternoon and being wired by the time you want to go to bed. <laughs> and there's Yeah, this, yeah, that, that cycle, yeah. Yeah, it just like takes away so many things that upset your patterning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, it's so, it's it's hard, like I've, I've, I've spoken about it on the podcast with Adam and a few others and I, I'm like I, I hate being that that vegan sort of harping but <laughs> as as we say just just try it you never force it on anyone we'll just say just try it if you don't like it don't do it but um that's what old Joe Rogan said after he did it he's like he just tells people just try it so it's but it is it's everything we've been taught about nutrition has suddenly flipped on its head and but no one's been doing any of this long enough to have any science behind it fully, like long-term science, but the same applies for the other diet methods. The only science behind um, continually adding animal fats to your diet is uh, human evolution. <laughs> and the last, the, the last three million years. So <laughs> yeah, and pre-colonization um, of of the Inuit people. Look, look how well colonizing them's gone. Although cigarettes. Yeah. Cigarettes yep. and booze haven't helped them much either. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not sure I've listened to the, the uh, Aboriginals of Australia. It's the same, but there's um, a couple of good books out about their farming practices before they white fella came in and there was another flip on your head. There's a book out called Dark Emu. Um, it'll blow your mind. Is it, it really flips everything we've been taught about them. 
um, on their heads as well. But um, yeah, they they suffered as soon as we showed up and started eating our shitty food. Yeah. Um, and and so many other uh, tribes in like there's tribes in the Amazon they'll eat is fish and yeah. one vegetable root. That's it. That's all yeah. they eat: salted fish in one type of tuba. And you can't. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's just it, it affects it affects every uh, all every aspect of your life. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem that way. You get the opinion that your body can fuel you fuel your body with whatever you want, but it's the same as a vehicle or anything. It needs the exact right fuel um, for each individual. So, um, yeah. yeah, I guess I guess the and thing sort of so thing is people. Have, I was going to say the thing is like. There is the right fuel for your body and the season and where you are and what your genetics are, which is, I guess, the hard part. But when you take the real, like, um, clear lens of it, like being close to your food and eating the things that got you here, it, then it actually does become quite simple. <laughs> oh, and, and I, I hate, yeah, like I said, I hate sounding like it, but it's like there's no, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. And some people find the same eating a keto diet, as you know, you're you're, you're sort of full on. You've done that for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, that, that was sort of that's sort of where I went to was keto, and then I sort of reined it back a bit and went to more sort of paleo type thing. Yeah. Like it's not, I'm not like evangelical about it or strict about it. Like, oh no, I eat chocolate and drink alcohol. I'm not a full carnivore. But yeah, like I said, I was my diet. Yeah, I was at a, I was at a wedding on on you know just just been and oh, although I did get the gluten free stuff and but then I sort of said to them I oh, don't worry about it like I'll eat meat, meat and vegetables and there's no problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but it it says a lot for um yeah it's it's just it's something that we overlook and I keep, I keep getting back onto that subject but you 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 yourself got me onto that listening to one of your podcasts with Adam, I think, and then a couple of others um, changed the way I eat. And I've never been a big diet or gym junkie or anything. I think it's all crap. I think pretty much my body could convert whatever I chucked in its mouth and it wouldn't affect me at all. And, oh, geez, I was wrong. Yeah. Right. So, and you don't know until you try it. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Like you're sitting there in the bone room and, like, there's lots of heads on the wall, but then you've also got all the all the casts and stuff around. When when you're out there, I and mean, that's what we were sort of talking about over the weekend, it's almost like the difference between hunting and hiking is that with hunting there's so many more levels. Like you get the hiking part, but then you're on your own track, so that's already a level up. And hikers are probably going to bullshit, but um, yeah, this was our bias opinion. You're already a level up by being in this sort of Explore, yeah. exploring type thing and then you might hear an animal or see some sign yeah. and then you see an animal and then, and then you get if you get an animal then you've got meat and stuff and then if it's you know something like that rack behind you then you've got a trophy it's just like all these sort of escalating levels to something that's already absolutely epic like is that anywhere near your process yeah. when you go out or, or subconsciously or what <laughs> Oh, I no, I, I just I used to hike before this. I I used to always walk, and yeah. not before this, before climbing, before it become, and and it all stemmed from that. Even when I was a kid, I'd 
get with my mates if I'd go to their farm. We'd just go walking. I don't know how we did it. We'd go out for hours without any water or food or anything. Just piss off and come back red hot, dying of thirst. But it was always, I always had the desire to go to the top of the mountain Yeah, everywhere. Always wanted to go to the top of the mountain and get the view. And I still do that. I still walk to the highest points. I don't shortcut. I still climb to the top all the time just for that. I know where the animals are and the top, I can't even glass them from the highest point, but I just go to it because of the view of everywhere else. And then I'll sit there and just enjoy the view and soak it up and soak up all the mountaintops. And, and like I said, then you learn the, um, you can walk, you can hike somewhere all the time, but you don't learn where every gully is you don't learn that that this point of the day it's going to be cooler in that gully or warmer in that gully or the sun hits that point at this time or that thermals are always dropping down that one so that's your next level up you become more engaged with the environment even if you're not there just to walk i can walk now on a southerly wind and stay out of the wind I know where to, to duck through the, the, the ridge lines to stay out of the wind, so it's not unpleasant. It's like when you're hiking, you're just doing the miles and enjoying the environment. When I was, um, it was 2005, yeah, I think it was 2005, I was in the Kimberley, and anyway, I was working on a million-acre station up there, and I was finding more art sites on that station than anyone had before. and and I'd walk faster than most, but they're like, how do you do it? And I don't know if it was ever the hunter in me that would just be more observant, more aware of his environment, why he was walking. Mm. Um, I got no idea, but I found a uh, hundred and something art sites just in the seven months I was there that, and, and about 60 or 70 of them, people that had been there for 10 years never knew about. So, mm. and I wonder if it was that hunter in me that was way more aware of his surroundings to pick up on the little things, the pathways or the the natural walkways or cleared areas or whatever. I don't know, but um, I don't know if we're all like that either. I don't know if it's just something that people, maybe people that have never hunted before, they get out in the bush and then it all switches on and they're like, oh, shit, why, why haven't I been doing this for years? Yeah. Like, um, is, it, is it genetic? <laughs> is I don't it know. in your blood that once that... Yeah. It's where we came from, mate. And I, and I, unlock it once we get out there. Yeah, and it also starts bringing up more questions as well, like you're saying about seeing uh, an art site, or well, then you're like, oh, shit, what's this all about? And same with, like, seeing springs. You're like, well, what's the geology of the place? Um, seeing different plants. And then you're like, well, is that edible? Is it edible for us? Like, could I survive on that um, if I had to? Yeah. <laughs> all these, it just sort of... Yeah. Yep. really opens you up into all these other avenues and like um yeah all of a sudden i'm into like you know seeing seeing a bunch of possums it's like man should bring some traps up in here and <laughs> you know and, yeah and, and all, if you if you were just hiking you wouldn't have seen those possums yeah yeah you probably wouldn't have gone out at night yeah uh, it's um it's um they're talking on that on that on um flora um, it was a coincidental that uh, probably six months ago, the pigs were really getting desperate and they were rooting up this top of this mountain. So it's about 920 
metres up. And these little daisy tubers, I don't know what their scientific name is, but they got like a carrot on the bottom of that as a, essentially a daisy. Mm. And anyway, listening to this um, dark emu book later on is that plant used to be quite prolific and it was a, a stable source of food um, for the local indigenous all over the East Coast. But mm. due to uh, sh- sheep and cattle, it's almost all but wiped out most of their big plantations of it where they used to sort of keep it cultivated to, to use in a time of low, or well, whenever they did, no one was around to document it, so they don't know. But yeah, I didn't notice that and I would have noticed that, but it was an odd plant and I saw it rooted up by the pigs I was chasing. I'm like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a tuberous root plant in the mountains here. And then heard that book later on about it and I explained exactly what it is. And I was like, okay, hey, link those two up that was a, a food source of the indigenous people here years ago and it's still here but it should have been a lot more prolific um, yeah. but that was just some little cool little fact that i wouldn't have picked up if i was a hiker because i wouldn't be chasing pig digging yeah so, yeah and something just other little that, that happens all the time that little stuff yeah and it, it's like it's a, it's nothing. It's nothing to somebody else, but and it doesn't mean anything if you tried to explain that. But for people who spend a lot of time in the bush, those little things can make your day someday. That little bit of this, a little bit of knowledge here and there. Yeah. So. And same same for the sky, eh? Like weather, um, weather patterns, and then even the stars at night time. Like shit, when you're away from the city, the what the stars look like just insane and. You know, you almost want to get back and open up a sky atlas and go, what the heck was I looking at? Because <laughs> you just don't, yeah. don't see all that. Did you ever photograph the sky? Yeah, I've, actually, that's another thing that came from that book, The Dark Emu. Um, the, the, the emu is just the, 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 a lot of indigenous all over Australia, I think, have a connection with a, a, a dreamtime creature, the emu, which is now an imprinted in the... Um, Milky Way as an emu, oh, wow. and I and I've got this awesome photo of this. It's like a, a black spot where you can't see any nebulas or anything in the Milky Way, and it's actually the shape of an emu and a, and a big bright uh, planet or star is right where its eye is. And awesome. it was just by chance I photographed it perfectly <coughs> out in the Sydney desert, and then someone pointed out to me. But yeah, I did do that, and I've just got a new Sony A7. A73, I think it is, um, which got really awesome low light, but I haven't actually done any night photography with it, and I've had it for probably three months now, um, which is a shame because when it was, it's been cloud around lately, but um, when it was a drought, we had lots of clear nights, lots of clear nights. But I, I like to have a subject matter in in my night photos, um, the stars, but. It's no, it's pretty cool, isn't it? That line, and you don't appreciate it till you see it again. They're above you every night, but unless you roll out and just look up quietly um, when you're out in the bush, you forget that they're there almost every yeah. night, sitting in your house with the lights on, stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I, I, I do try to still get out, and same when we're in Bellina, we'd sit on the on the bench and on the bench, the um, balcony, and, and look over the coast. Also looking at those awesome thunderstorms that get up there. But, yeah, you're saying dream time. I was super gutted to be missing Hunter's Journal's 
uh, movie night tonight, and that was one of the films um, he did. Uh, Kim videoed the Blood Origins guys up in Northern Territory on some bulls, and that, that film they called oh, Dream, right, yeah. Dreamtime. And then they had a spearfishing one, and then they had uh, another guy, uh, Bow Hunter, Khan Adam. Um, I think it was them chasing Seeker or, or Reds, one of the two, or both. Yeah, so they had a yeah. little movie night on tonight down in Christchurch. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw um, Green Tree was going to that. Yeah, that was the one. He's going to the, the movie night. Will they post them? Will they be on their website? I bloody hope so. <laughs> yeah, he had a few good movies on that website, a few good short films. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're, they're um, doing good stuff there, you know. Our, probably one of our most successful magazines has been having a TV series and they're up to season six. And so they're doing really good sort of 40-minute 40, 40 shows. And then we've got another... Um, team Hunters Club doing good shows. So they do they get it? Do they get over to you guys or not really? I I don't have any pay TV or any sort of. So I only ever see what's on YouTube or yeah. on, on Netflix. I did pay for a few Vimeo videos, hunting videos, but I don't see. So you got um the um what's it called? <laughs> Beyond the Divide with Rob Vinking. Yeah. Can't yeah. say probably. Um, anyway, he's 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 got a show on one of the the channels that I I don't get it. I don't I miss out on it. Um, but talking on your magazines, we've just actually just had the the last edition of our bow hunting down under magazine, and one our I think it's the generation below me. Um, I'm 37 this year. Um, it's just not is inspired to write and it's just struggling to get articles into the magazine. Yeah. Uh, that's what that, like Bowie was saying that you just can't get people to bring articles in. And I don't think it's that they don't want to or anything. I just don't think it's their thing anymore. We just don't. We share things now through video and photo rather than storytelling on paper as such anymore. <laughs> so these video nights are the, are the, the new thing. Um, yeah. Ironic, ironically, Kim, you know, has, has started a quarterly magazine. And I think that might be what also is on his side, and you know, on high quality paper and trying yeah. to get trying to get images that are you know like like yourself, Cameron, like yourself, that has yeah. sort of subject to it. It's not you know not so much about grip and grin anymore. It's about the full full both visual narrative. And the story that goes with it. Um, yeah, yep. I think that's you need to feel. You need to feel the photo. Yeah. And the photos there, you got to feel that photo. And a grip and grin does not. You can't feel it. Mm. But if you're seeing a photo of someone sitting exhausted, holding it, or whatever, you know what I mean. You know, I know what you're saying. That composition of those photos now, a better quality composition. Yeah. 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 Even like arrow, arrow, arrowheads like that. It's only I think six monthly arrowhead. Nice, yeah. Even like that photo I put up um, today of, of their hind, like you know, it's. I was trying to sort of show that that man, that's that's pretty pretty tough moment. And like, you take the shot from I was four hundred meters away, and and you sort of watch it stand there, and you're like just going, please, please drop, please drop, and then you're walking up to it, going, please have been like lethal, and. Yeah, I think yeah, because it's a long walk, 
<laughs> and then to get there and it was you just it's like the most ultimate relief and like this beautiful animal was in front of you and like I love deer I, I want to farm deer but <laughs> yeah to see them in the wild and, and just like their skin and, and how hardy they are and then and that's why I always try to take take the meat off hey? get it get it get it away get it with you get it into a chiller or a freezer and, and and then enjoy it for so long and then and sharing it hey? get having that provenance that goes with it this the story and and the build up and that's that's where I think um you know I'm 30 so I'm probably also ahead of a little bit ahead of that generation but being able to write it down and and, and have meaningful images and meaningful story means that uh, this awesome pastime is not going to be lost and and you know yeah getting yep. getting getting hold of some people and saying i'll take you for a walk is, is another awesome thing that you can do yeah there's lots of it's um and there's the what the the sharing the story in the right with the right context um also people that don't hunt can appreciate it more yeah. as well if they see and it's a real art to it. There's a big art to being able to tell a story that keeps all people interested, regardless yeah. of the context, like regardless of what happens in it. Yeah. But, um, it's the same with, yeah, I'd, I'd feel like a, not so much. Yeah. When I, I can't, I can't shoot a deer without eating. I just can't kill one. I'm getting, it must be me getting old. I'm not old, but uh, the harder I get, the harder I find it is to kill stuff. And, um, and um, it's the same mentality. So all that effort you put in just to pull the trigger or or hit it with an arrow just to stop at that point, hmm. it's like it can't end there. Sometimes you're like, I, I, I every single deer I've shot in the last ah, uh, all bar one. Sorry, one deer was nasty the other year. Um, he was real super dehydrated, but I've cut the back straps at least and I'll take I'll debone a back leg and take the roast or steaks out of a back leg or two back legs and or take the whole deer some if I go out with a rifle I'm taken for keeps like I take the whole thing. That's why I take the rifle so I can shoot it where I can drive the car through it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like yeah, it just can't end there, can it? So that's a you can convince others that it just doesn't end there as well it's not just an emotional full stop bang it's over which you can do for other animals that cause issues but it's weird with deer it's odd pigs it's just like yeah they are a pest i have no issues with hitting them although i want to take more meat off the pigs because i just was cooking it wrong before and making it tough so now i need to cook it better but um yeah they just make so much reek so much havoc for farmers um, spreading weeds with the way that they root up the soil and they wreck tracks and wreck crops and heaps of other stuff like while they're eating they're wrecking so I've got no it's like a moral high ground when I shoot pigs <laughs> or <laughs> rabbits fact, or anything like that so yeah and the fact that pigs and rabbits they're just unstoppable like they'll just you know they just go yeah yeah they'll be prolific if you don't control them where yeah yeah. Anyway, I think we've been talking. What have we been talking now? Or oh, we might 
we might be going into the bit too long territory. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Sounds good. Ten past ten. <laughs> well, what is it? Ten past eight. <laughs> good amount of time. Yeah, yeah, it's not that late. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for coming on. I've, I've been on your show and I've been meaning to, we, we've spoke about getting you on and talk a bit of Kiwi stuff. Um, we talked a bit of everything just then. This is a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Um, hopefully I'll get over there one day to the North Island. Yeah. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to hunt some sicker. So. Yeah, I need, I need so, to get back down to the South Island because that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. I've just started with the boys, actually. We started talking about Stewart Island. I'm getting cold just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Are you any good on a boat as well? Because it's a... It's uh, no, I'm pretty shit on a boat, yeah. I'd yeah. have to be really drunk to get on a boat and then not be sick or just lie in the bottom in the fetal position. So yeah. that'll be me lying lying down in the fetal <laughs> position. Probably the same in a tree stand at Stewart Island in a fetal position, freezing. <laughs> yeah, Marina will be your friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I'll right, well, um, you press stop. Thanks for that, Ryan. Yeah. Awesome. I suppose there's not much else to be said, really. That was just two blokes having a yarn about hunting. Awesome stuff. <laughs> but seriously, look after each other out there. Um, if you can contribute to local business, uh, do so. If you um, can, you know, order something online, um, I'm hoping the advanced archery guys are able to send stuff out via courier. I see they're doing a um, drive-in shopping experience in Auckland, but uh, yeah, I don't know how long that's lasting for. Could deal with some broadheads, uh, but you know, I'll have to set up a target and, and uh, practice practice my archery out here. Um, yeah, let me know what you're doing. Pass the time. Uh, I see Rosie Tong has recruited a bunch of us to put out some workouts there. I'm looking at um, a hill out in front of me, which I'm going to try and do basically a steeplechase. So run out across the paddocks, hurdle the fences, although there's hot wires on top, so that could get interesting, and try to blast it up to the top of the hill, uh, maybe do some press-ups or burpees or... Um, air squats or all of the above up there and uh, run back down and not go up arse over breakfast on the way down and uh, try to hurdle a few more fences and get back to the house. It should be fun. I'll try to get some footage of that and hopefully I don't shock myself or cane myself doing that. Um, yeah. Ordering ketones at the moment. I'd say it still works. Who would know? <laughs> But check out the website, waiket0.proveitnow.com And yeah, check out exogenous ketones. Who knows? Might help you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not about to make that claim. But uh, really looking after yourself, maybe instigating some fasting or time-restricted eating watching the amount of sugar that you're consuming because that will affect your immune system, making sure you're sleeping well um, and looking after your mind. As I said in that post uh, this morning about doing the Wim Hof Method, uh, finding your zen, finding your joy, 
um, and connecting with lots of people. That's why I'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, happy to be good. Um, that'll do. Catch you next time. Enjoy.